Well, let's take our Bibles this morning. We're going to get back to our study of the book of Matthew, chapter number five. If you'll turn in your Bible this morning, Matthew and chapter number five. Well, you're finding your place there tonight. Uh, we're going to be finishing the study of the book of Ephesians. It's been about a two uh, or 20 year study. I can't remember. It's been a while. Uh, we've been in Ephesians for a good while. I think it's sermon 53. So it's certainly been a good number of sermons, but I've so enjoyed studying the book of Ephesians. And we're going to look at the very last two verses. It's easy to, you know, you come to some of those verses that say peace, you know, be unto you and love with faith and grace and uh, be unto you. And, you. and you can kind of just read over those and think, well, the book's over or the letter's done, but, but really he's summarizing everything and putting it into two verses. So I'm looking forward to trying to preach that here tonight. We had planned on the, uh, the Patch Club singing. Brother Greg came down not feeling well, so we we're going to postpone that. So in its place, we're going to have Brother Chad and Miss Sarah Hainline give testimony about their trip to Kenya and show their video. We had moved that back. So anyways, just reorganizing a little bit. And uh, so I know that'll be a help and a blessing uh, to our church family as they'll be our next interns and begin to get behind them in what uh, the Lord wants to do, I believe, in, uh, in Kenya and in northern Kenya and up towards uh, South Sudan. And a very large, 300,000 people living in a refugee camp, if I'm, uh, the numbers are right there, between two and 300,000. And literally people from all over Africa there, especially in that region, and so very interesting. I look forward to us hearing more about that tonight. Matthew chapter five, we'll begin in verse number uh, one. In fact, uh, verse 25 of chapter four references how that a, there followed him a great multitudes of people. And it mentions the regions from which they came really all over that region to follow Jesus. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain and when he was set, his disciples came unto him and he opened his mouth and taught them. Now, it's, it's very important that we catch that. He's not addressing the multitude, though there are times when he did address the multitude. And it was a, a cry for repentance, a call for repentance. But here, in light of the multitude and the need of the multitude, He's speaking to his disciples, and maybe there would be some of the multitude that would overhear, but it really is addressed uh, to his followers, his disciples. And here's what he said unto them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, that doesn't seem to go together, does it? Happy, truly happy are those that mourn. Seems a paradox and it is. For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are ye, or I'm sorry, blessed are they. Notice this, it seems to be out of place as well. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And then he goes on about the light, the salt of the earth, light of the world. And so this morning, our theme for this series, those of you joining us, our theme is uh, Jesus is King and how we ought to live in light of that. The fact that he is currently King. And so the title of the message here this morning, Sermon 11, is the counter-cultural character 
of those who follow Christ. We are called upon to go counterculture. And so we're going to divide this into two parts. It's praying about what to do. You know, you have these uh, Beatitudes. Each of them would merit a sermon or a series. Each. So we're going to look at them in two parts. Two parts. Sunday school series, Brother Sam conducted, a preaching series he conducted here, uh, took them verse by verse. We're going to cover them, God willing, in, in two parts. Uh, verses 3 through 6, and then, God willing, next Sunday, 7 through 12. And so this part one is, is really this, what it takes to be right with God. What it takes to be right with God. Do you want to know that? I think everyone is here today because there's something in your heart or something in your mind that says, I need to be right with God. I want to be right with God. And so the message today is going to go out both to those that, that are not saved, that's never trusted Jesus as Savior. There is a way. I love the choir song a moment ago. You can be right with God. How? How? What does it take? And then for, as this passage assigns it, to disciples, to us who want to be his followers, what does it take to be right with God? May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. Consider verses three through six here this morning. Part one, the countercultural character of those who follow Christ. Back in the last century, A.W. Tozer said this, many of us Christians have become extremely skillful in arranging our lives so as to admit the truth of Christianity without being embarrassed by its implications. We admit assent to the truth of Christianity, but we don't want to be embarrassed by its implications. In other words, we know it's right, but we don't always apply it to our lives because that would cause us to really stick out in the crowd. I want to say to every believer here today, and if you're an unbeliever, I think you would even agree with this. Believers ought to act like it. Amen. Christians ought to act like it. In fact, there may be people that are resisting salvation because they say, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it because you're no different than I am. Well, that's an indictment. That's an indictment. So um, on behalf of lost people, I want to preach to Christians today, including myself. I've already heard the message. That we ought to act like Christians and believers. And on behalf of the Lord Jesus Christ standing in his stead, I, I want to try to help us understand what he was saying here. And, and it has great implications for every life here today. And, and we need to understand that, that every one of these is to be applied to every one of our lives. This is not a set of character traits for an elite group of Christians. It's for every Christian. It's not like he was saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. They're over here in this crowd. And then blessed are those who mourn. They're over here in this crowd. And blessed are, the, no, all eight are to be applied to your life. And so this is not a smorgasbord that you choose from. It's not a buffet that you can say, well, I like that. I'll take that. But I don't want that. Persecution. I don't want that. Do you want to be more like Jesus? Could I ask you that this morning? Do you want to be more like your Savior? I, I believe every one of us... And we, we know the, the trained answer that we ought to give. Yes, absolutely. Uh, who here would say, no, I, I don't really want to be like him. No, I don't, I don't think that would be the case. And yet, don't we struggle right there uh, with being like the Lord? And, and the way you answer that question is going to reveal much about you. 
What we're going to see as we continue in this study, and I'm just going to trust that God's going to guide and temper our pace, and we may cover sometimes larger chunks or units, and other times just kind of slow it down. It may just be one verse, and, and we'll just try to follow God's leading, leadership on that. But I, I guarantee you this, regardless of how much of this that we take in at one time, you're going to see this. He is calling us as his modern day disciples to go completely against the culture. In fact, uh, again, I'd like to quote A.W. Tozer. Uh, uh, sorry, I came across a website that had some pretty good quotes. <laughs> try not to bog down into many of them, but it's just really helpful what some have said. But he, he said this, a real Christian is an odd number anyway. <laughs> he feels supreme love for one he's never seen, talks in a familiar way, every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, empties himself in order to be full, admits he is wrong in order to be right. Goes down in order to get up, is strongest when he's weakest, richest when he's poor, happy when he feels the worst, dies so that he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives so that he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes all understanding. You are odd. <laughs> we are odd. Okay, so... What would be a natural break? I, I was looking for this and, and praying about it. You know, what would be a natural break to where we could really take this in and do it justice? I mean, like really do it justice and not, not be in a hurry, but to know that we need every one of these, but, but at the same time, not make this a, a 200 uh, sermon series, you know, and, 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 and move along. And so what I found and others uh, noted and it was very helpful to see that, that the first four really are the foundational character traits that every disciple needs. In fact, really, the very first beatitude um, teaches what is very foundational because if you don't get verse 3 right, you won't do any of the others. It is that foundational. But the other three that follow it really do set also the stage. And we might even say it this way. The first four relate in our relationship between us and God, whereas the next four deal with us in our relationships this way. And so we need to be right vertically so that then we can be right horizontally. I believe that's how it breaks down. Very much like the Ten Commandments, as, as God dealt with those and, and gave us those rather, then the first four deal with our relationship with Him, and the next six deal with our relationship with man. Very much the same thing here as Jesus is on the mountain teaching His disciples, saying if you really want to make a difference in the world, then you need to be right with God and right with man. So how do I do that? How, how can I be right with God? Who here today needs to be right with God? Who here today wants to be right with God? Well, there is a way to be right with God, but you're not going to like it. It's not going to be natural for you. It's not going to be natural for me. It's not natural for any of us. It, in our carnal, sinful state, we don't want to do what the first four are, let alone the next four. It goes against our grain. It goes against our nature. I'm talking about our sinful nature that we still wrestle with, that we will wrestle with till we get to heaven. Thank God someday we'll be free from this sinful tendencies. Thanks be to God for that. But wait a minute, hang on. Some misunderstand this and misapply this passage and say, well, that's, this passage is only for kingdom living. That is not true. It's for today. And it's expected of you and it's expected of me today. You say, well, it's just an ideal to strive for. True in many ways it is, but it is also the expectation of God on every believer, including you. But I'm telling you this morning that it will cause you to go against what you naturally will do. And it certainly is in direct opposition to what this world highlights. I wrote some things down to help us see that. And these really correspond. I may not, I may not make 
or take the time to show how they correspond with each of the Beatitudes as they're known. Beatitudes meaning supreme happiness or great joy of the ones who. And, and, and so that's the background uh, to that. But, but, but I, I thought about them and basically just the opposite of it. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. And we'll get to more of an explanation as to what poor in spirit means. It doesn't mean, you know, those living in, in material poverty, but it rather is this, uh, just, just real quick, kind of help us get started would be this. It's those who realize they don't have any spiritual resources in themselves. Jesus says, blessed are those who realize they don't have anything to offer to God. That they don't have anything to bring to God that would earn his favor. Blessed are those that are humble, we might say in a word. Not self-sufficient. But this world tells you, believe in yourself. Be all that you can be. I don't want to be all that I can be. <laughs> right? You say, well, that, but you understand what they're saying. No, I understand leaving up to potential. I, I get that. But do you understand? Do I understand what's really in here? Do you really want me to be all that I can be? Uh-uh. I'm talking about apart from Christ? No way. No way in any way. I'm telling you, you don't want that. Nobody wants that. Search yourself. Go after what you want. You are self-sufficient. You, you can just pull yourself up by the bootstraps and, and do it. If you just try harder. Mourning? Huh. No, I'd much rather just be joyful and happy and brushing off conviction. I'm telling you, as a society, we are addicted to comedy. You know why? Because comedy causes us to forget about how bad we are. Or they make light of sin and they live one weekend to the next or one high to the next or one drug to the next or one drink to the next. And, and they're fine with the way that things are going. Just leave it alone. Let everybody make up their own mind about what's right and wrong. Promote yourself. Go after what you want. Use your position. Use your power to serve your agenda. Don't think about others. Care about yourself. If you want a title, then go after what you want. It doesn't matter about the rest of the team. You got to do what you got to do for yourself. You'll hear that in the sports world. You'll hear that in, in the business world. You'll hear that in the classrooms. You'll, you'll hear that on the street. You'll see that in promotional videos. You'll see that in commercials. In every way, they in, in encouraging us to care just about yourself. It doesn't matter who you step on to get hired. Just go for it. Interest in spiritual things. Church attendance is only out of obligation. There's no real spiritual hunger or thirst. It's just, you're just here, some would say, just here to kind of get through another service. Oh, that God's people would hunger and thirst. There's no appetite for spiritual things because they're so full of carnal things. Material things, entertainment of this world, they would certainly choose if given the choice. I mean, come on, be honest here this morning. Would you choose entertainment or spirituality? In our sinful state. No, we begrudged even losing an hour of sleep today. I sure did, didn't you? Come on, I'll just be honest about it. Some of you are catching up on that hour right now. No, 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 uh-uh. No, you don't get to sleep till all of us sleep at the International Baptist nap time on Sunday afternoon, right? So just hang on, it's coming. There remaineth the rest for the people of God, but not now. <laughs> I don't want anybody to interfere with my personal comfort or my personal plans. And, and they may not, hey, listen, I'm, I'm talking about hungering and thirsting after righteousness. They may not agree with what's going on in the political realm or the popular culture. They know what is right and wrong, but, but I'm not going to really get involved in that. I'm not going to like make efforts. I'm not going to say much about that as long as things are kind of going smooth for me. 
There are people that won't forgive, people that aren't, aren't motivated by the needs of others. And, and, and it is natural for us not to do so. It's natural for us to hold on to grudges and, and, and to not let something go. They, they would rather go. We'd rather go after what we want. And, 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 and if we're, I'm okay as long as somebody else is, is having a hard time. But if it comes my way, then I'm, I'm not going to tolerate that. Get along with people that are like them. They avoid others. Hold on to something that happened years ago. They still remember when. They post offenses of others for the world to see. They recruit others to take their side. Peace, peacemaker, uh-uh, uh-uh. I said, nah-uh. Not given what they've done, not given what they've said. I'm not gonna be a peacemaker right there. Can't even fathom that God would want me to suffer or, or, or be embarrassed by this. Or, or, and they stick with something just as long as it's not tough. Are you listening to me here this morning? Jesus is calling on you to go completely cr uh, contrary to that. It's certainly easier to fit in than it is to stick out. Struggled with this throughout the Old Testament as Israel was more like the culture around them. And God would send prophet after prophet to say, listen, you are the people of God and you ought to live like it. And they stoned some of them and they killed others of them and they ran off others of them and they slandered some of them. They didn't want the preacher to tell them how they really were. Tell me what I want to hear, preacher. Don't tell me what I don't want to hear. And that same thing can happen today. But Jesus showed up on the scene just like John the Baptist had been on the scene, the forerunner, and he called for repentance. So did Jesus. He called for repentance. And what we're reading about in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 would be this, the application of what repentance looks like in a life. God loves you, friend. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you way too much to leave you that way. He begins a work in you that radically changes you at the deepest part of you. That's what he wants to do. Leonard Ravenhill said this, the greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man or woman out of an unholy world and make him or her holy and then put them back into that unholy world and keep them holy. He can do that. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, Jesus said. He was talking about the joy and, and the happinesses of, the true happiness, not the happiness that's based on happenings, but rather this, the abiding joy that knows I'm right with God. In fact, one said, blessed means this, made happy by God. What makes you happy? What makes you happy when your ball team wins? What makes you happy uh, when you get an extra burger in the bag because they put one more in than what they should. What makes you happy? Well, someday you're going to be fries short, right? So you can't base your happiness on what goes in the bag. No, it ought to be this. You can base your happiness that God's in heaven. And he's in control. And he's at work in your life and he brings joy. I love, in fact, we're getting ready to go into the book of, of Philippians on, on Wednesday night once we get through the book of Job and we're going to call it countered by joy because the trials of our life are truly counted by joy if our joy is in the Lord. And one man said this, joy is the flag that flies over the castle of our hearts announcing that the king is on the throne. You don't have to wait to the kingdom to enjoy what, what God has given us. This is available to us even now to be applied. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What does this mean? The blessed are the poor. It is the foundational beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps we could... Um, Understand what it means to be poor in spirit if we understand the opposite of it. Who did, uh, in Jesus' day, who thought that they were part of the kingdom of God? Well, certainly the Pharisees did. The Pharisees did because they were the re religious elite. 
And so they were lifted up in pride, and so they would stand off to the side while a publican prayed over here, not Republican, but publican, a tax collector. While he prayed over there, they prayed something like this, oh God, I thank you that I tithe, you know, so many times, twice a week, or, or twi I, I tithe, I fast twice a week, I give up my tithes rather, I, I, uh, I keep the law. I'm not like these sinners. Pride, arrogancy, self-sufficiency, no poorness of spirit. I'm sorry, no poverty of spirit, just, just full of himself. In fact, Jesus said he prayed with himself. Yeah. Pious. Jesus said that he went home unregenerate. He went home lost. But this man that, that was a publican that swindled people out of their money, he knew that he was a sinner and he was poor of spirit. He's basically saying this, nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to the cross I cling. I have nothing to offer to God. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said that man went home justified. And I want to say to you today that if you are yet without Christ, you've never been saved. There's no good that you could do to save yourself. There's no church you could join that would make you automatically right with God. The fact that you were born in America does not make you a Christian. Listen to me here this morning. You have absolutely nothing to offer him, but he has everything to offer you. Blessed are the poor in spirit who understand that, that they come to God not showing what they have, but rather to say, dear God, I have nothing to offer and I need to receive from you. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven was not given to the zealots who drew sword and were ready to take it by force. No, the kingdom of God, listen to this, the kingdom of God was given to harlots and drunkards and publicans, vile sinners who understood there was nothing they could do to save themselves and they trusted God as their Savior. But also Pharisees like a Nicodemus who began to realize that I don't have anything to offer God and called upon God to be his Savior. Pharisees like a Paul who had all the, all the degrees and, and all the things that were going for him that if every, anybody was right with God, surely it would have been Saul of Tarsus. But he said, what was gained in me, I counted as loss. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Uh, the book of Isaiah chapter 66 says this, as God is speaking, he says, to this man will I look. I wonder who God looks to. I wonder who God approves of. Would you be interested in knowing? I wonder who God looks to. I wonder who he approves of. Even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. Humility. It's the foundation of all else that follows. This takes you completely against the mantra of the world. I can do it myself. You know, this, this will help anybody that's um, anywhere. This will help a Christian who's trying to be a Christian in the workplace. Whether you are a teacher, an administrator, a CEO, a fireman, a police officer, you say, uh, preacher, hang on just a minute, right there, stop. You can't be a police officer and be poor in spirit. Yes, you can. You say, no, you've got to be assertive. I understand your job calls from assertiveness and you ought to do some. But not from yourself. It ought to be this, dear God, I know I can't do this job on my own. I need your help right here. Poor in spirit. God gives grace. God gives help to those. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I taught for many years um, a class entitled Personal Spiritual Development. Many students are in it even right now. And this is the foundational principle we try to get across. And it's basically this. The low man wins. The low man wins. You ever heard that saying? The low man wins. Um, <clears throat> growing up in the 80s, I really took a liking to Walter Payton as running back for the Chicago Bears. The Bears, right? Well, what I've noticed about running backs, 
regardless of what team, whether it's Barry Sanders in his day with the, with the Lions or whoever it is, they don't, when, when they're busting through the line, in fact, I often ask my dad, why do they go straight up the middle? There's all kinds of people there. Why don't they run around this way? Well, sometimes they will, but they understand this. You bust a hole and you go through it. But why notice this, when they came through that line, as they would have blockers, they didn't come in like this, carrying the ball. You know why? Because if they did, they're getting knocked down. But what they would do is they would get low and put a hit on somebody. Can I get a volunteer? No, okay. <laughs> they get low, why? Because a low man wins. They understand that if I get low, then I, I, can, I can make progress. Anybody that has wrestled, you know, high school type wrestling, they understand it's not, you don't come in there upper, upper body strength, although there may be some there, but you're rather your, your greater strength is lower body strength. And even as a younger guy or a smaller guy, I should say, if you can get lower, the low man wins. Hey, listen, what I'm saying to you is this, simply this, that even as believers, if we say things like the world says like this, I got this. How many times have you heard that lately? That's kind of a catchphrase, isn't it? I got this. You got this. No, I ain't got this. Sorry about the bad English, but I ain't. I ain't got it. I don't have this, but here's what I got to do. The low man wins. Dear God, I can't handle this right here. You listening to me? You got, you got three things I tell the students and it applies to church members as well. It applies to, to church members that have been saved a long time and it applies to those that are just newly saved. You have trials coming your ways. You have temptation coming your way and just to keep the T's going, you've got tiffs coming your way. You know what a tiff is? When you have a problem with somebody else. But I'm here to tell you the low man wins. But if you're, if you're lifting yourself up in pride and you say, I think I can handle this trial. I'll just work harder. I'm telling you, you're going flat down. But if you say, dear God, this trial is overwhelming. I don't know how to handle this family situation. I don't know how to handle this situation at work. I don't know how to handle this financial crisis that has come my way. And you make your way to an altar, an old fashioned altar. And you say, God, I'm just going to offer myself to you and let you do what you want. And you're poor in spirit rather than proud. The low man wins. If you try to resist temptation in the power of your flesh, it will only last a little while and you'll lose. But if you say, dear God, it's me again. Anybody else been there before? We say, dear God, it's me again. I failed miserably here. I've given in again. I've, I've given in to that temptation. I'm just saying today, if you get low and you say, dear God, I can't handle this temptation. It's so strong upon me. I need your help. Who do you think God's going to help? Somebody that's like that or somebody that says, you know, I think I can handle this. I'm telling you, he resists the proud, but he gives grace unto the, whole, unto, unto the humble. Yes. Tiff, just to complete the three, a tiff. You have a problem with somebody. You know, the Bible says, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up strife. If I'm into it with my wife and, and we're having a discussion, <laughs> you ever have one of those discussions? If, if hang on, watch this now. If, if, if I come and, and I present something and, and I'm upset about something and I present it here with this tone, this volume, huh? I'm here and she's here. Humble, sweet, huh? You know what I'm going to think? Oh, come on. <laughs> Don't be Christ-like. <laughs> but I'll tell you what effect it really does have on me. Uh, if I'm thinking right, brings me down. But here's what can happen. If I'm here and then she goes here, oh, guess where I'm going? Here and then here and then here. Doors slam, walking out, mad, upset, talking about her mom, talking about his mom. <laughs> I'm not giving personal testimony. I'm just saying where it can go. But I'm telling you, regardless of what relationship it is, whether it's a marriage relationship or a family relationship or a, a church member relationship, the low man wins. If you start with prayer and say, dear God, I'm having a hard time with this brother, with this sister, with this situation. I really need your help right here. I don't want to avoid them because that wouldn't be Christ-like. I want to go to them and where I need to ask forgiveness, I want to ask forgiveness. And where I need to forget, give forgiveness, I want to give forgiveness. Dear God, I can't do this. I am so weak. I am so poor. I'm so low. And listen, Pope. Poverty of spirit and poor in spirit doesn't mean you beat yourself up because you can do that in a self-centered way just to try to get attention to yourself. Right. Ah! 
Does that make sense? I'm sorry about that exclamation, whatever that was. I'm just simply saying we do that and we think, oh, I'm, I'm so terrible. I'm so rotten. I'm so, and you know, you, you can say that, but when somebody else says that about you, oh, really? You think so? All right, so meekness just went out the door right there. Because it's okay if I say it about myself, but it's not okay if you or yours say it about me. So don't, don't play that game and saying, oh, I'm so terrible. And what you're trying to get somebody to say is manipulative is what it is. You're trying to get them to say, oh, you're not really that bad. Actually, what you ought to do is say, yeah, you know, actually, you're, you're probably worse than you think you are. <laughs> okay, I'm not sure if that'd be the Christ-like thing to do right there, okay? But, but, but truly, I mean, if we understood ourselves, we'd say, dear God, I am so sinful. Help me. Help me. Blessed. Right there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, not the haughty, not those that push their way, not those that manipulate. Blessed are the poor in spirit. When will we learn that? You ever have to take a test over? And again, you ever turn in a paper and it comes back red and you have to rewrite it again? And again and again, hey, I th he's, he's not going to move on because watch this. You're not going to mourn over sin if you're not poor in spirit. You're not going to be meek if you're not poor in spirit. You're not going to hunger and thirst after righteousness if you don't understand just how parched spiritually that you are. You're not going to be merciful. You're not going to be pure. You're not going to be peacemaking. You're not going to suffer for righteousness if you are not poor in spirit. Would you consider yourself poor in spirit or self-sufficient? What would others say of you? Oh, okay, hang on. Let me, let me make another layer here of application does your prayer life and your Bible reading life indicate that you are poor in spirit? Now that's where it's real. Does your church attendance indicate that you're poor of spirit, that you really need it? Are you, are you a Christian that says, you know, I'm pretty good with just one service a week? Oh, wait, oh, wait a minute. We're, we're talking about poverty of spirit. Are you just poverty of spirit just on Sunday morning? Don't we, um, don't we need the word? So you're just trying to manipulate, manipulate people to get into church on Sunday night. I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm just trying to say, listen, we are spiritually destitute and we need every bit of spiritual truth that we can get into our souls so I think right and live right. Yes. It's Wednesday night. In fact, they met daily in the New Testament. I'm not against it. That's what they did. You ever been around a new believer that says, hey, how come we don't have services on Monday? Bless their heart. It's like they can't get enough. Why do, and, and, and by it, while we're at it, what about Tuesday? You see, there's that hungering and thirsting. Here's the danger for Christians that have been in church a while. Monday services only in revival. <laughs> only if I have to. Are you following me? And I'm not saying we're going to go to all week services. I'm just, I'm just simply saying I think even as long-term Christians, sometimes we forget that we are poor in spirit. We have no spiritual resources on our own. There's progression here. Let me, let me move on to this, and I'm not going to take as much time on these other three, though certainly they merit it. If you're poor in spirit, understanding the poverty of your spiritual resources, then it naturally leads to number two, that you mourn over sin. I, what Jesus is saying here is not blessed are those that mourn in bereavement because they've lost a loved one. Though I read this morning, John 11, and how that he, he grieved, he mourned at the tomb of, of Lazarus and cried. In fact, the, the, the favorite Bible verse of the Christian school student, Jesus wept. Two words, powerful words. But that's not what he's talking about here. The context is different. The context is more this. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. In other words, they understand how 
spiritually poor they are, and that has led to sin. Wickedness. And they hate it, and they regret it, and they wish they could change it. They mourn. You listening to me? It's sad that even... Okay, let me just go straight up application to Southwest. Because I started to say it's sad that, that people living in America have lost the sense of mourning over sin. But that's evident. There's not mourning over sin, there's celebration of sin. There's condoning, rewriting of laws to accommodate sin, validate sin, because it's not enough that you would tolerate sin, but we want your endorsement for sin. Where's the mourning? If there's no mourning, there's no comforting, and the comforting would be God's forgiveness. But it's not just Americans that don't mourn over sin. I dare say it's us as believers, even as members of Southwest Baptist Church, that we've lost our sense of sin, and, and we don't mourn over sin. We just think, well, it's just how things are. Oh, God, help us to once again mourn over sin. Yes. Say, dear God, this is wickedness. This is not right. And, and, and God, would you please change us at our very heart level? Because we can buy into the mantra of the world that just says, well, you know what's right for you may not be right for me. What's wrong for me may not be wrong for you. It's okay. Sarah, Sarah, you know, live how you want to live. Go for the gusto. Do what you want to do. It's your thing. Have it your way. Do what feels good. I mean, all that, that is so sick. We ought to be mourning over sin, mourning over the fact that pornography is messing up so many homes, right. mourning over the fact that dishonesty and, 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 and lies and, and alcohol and, and bitterness and anger and envy and strife and jealousy and malice and ill will and ill speaking, that it's just terrorizing our homes and tearing up churches. We ought to mourn over that. It's just making sense. Jesus says those that do that They'll be comforted, and thus they're truly happy. But those that, those that try to treat sin lightly and say, well, it's no big deal. I'm not going to apologize. I know it's grieving other people, but I'm telling you, you're living with pain. That you may, you may try to cover, but you're not really happy even though you may be smiling. You, you will not experience the blessedness that Jesus spoke of until you experience and practice the bereavement of repentance. I'm sorry, the sorrow of godly repentance that, that says, this is horrendous. I don't want to go back to it again. Dear God, help me because it's messing up my life and the life of others around. Hey, that person right there, they have a joyful Christian life. Poverty of spirit, mourning over sin, meekness. Meekness is uh, literally strength under control. Jesus is meek. Jesus is not weak. He's not effeminate. He's a manly man. Grew up as a carpenter's son. He's a strong man, but a meek man. I just read Numbers 12 about Moses and how that his sister and brother criticized him for marrying the Ethiopian woman. But Moses was a meek man, meek, more meek than all the men of the earth, the Bible says. If I remember that right. He was not weak. He was meek. Okay, we've already actually hit this, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here either. Um. But if you're poor in spirit and, and then you mourn over sin and even if somebody criticizes you, you don't rise up in defense because you know who you really are anyways. Are you following the progression? But if you're not poor in spirit, 
you'll come over here to say, who do they think they are? Who does she think she is? Who does he think he is? Who are they to talk about? Why don't they look at themselves? You know, you probably have a good point right there. But go ahead and listen to what they're saying. Because unless you're proud, God may be using their criticism to be a help to you. But if you're not meek, there's nobody that can teach you anything. I remember the illustration Brother James Merlot gave. And he was talking about this very thing. And he said, you know, imagine you're at a stoplight and this guy pulls up beside you. I mean, his car is rattling. Okay, I mean, just, just barely got to the stoplight to pull up beside you. All banged up. I mean, listen to me, a real Bondo buggy. All right? A Bondo buggy, buggy. And, and I mean, it, it's just shaking all over and, 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 and he's got a big old long cigarette hanging out his mouth and smoke's coming out and, and it smoke's coming out his mouth and out, out his car. And I mean, just, I mean, the whole thing. And he looks over at you and says, hey, bud, you got a tire that's a little bit low right there. And his car, I mean, the two tires that you can see, it's almost like it's on the rims because it's so low and it's just all rattling. And you think, I've got a low, my low tire pressure light sensor hadn't even come on yet. Look at your car. But, but wait a minute, hang on, hang on just a minute. Because somebody that's meek will say this, thank you. Let me get my tire gauge and let me check and see where the poundage is here. And maybe I need to go into 7-Eleven and get some free air. Because blessed are the poor. <laughs> Total misapplication. All right. But I think you can see it. Okay, so, so listen, I mean, here you are saying, man, I'm, so, I'm such a sinful person. And then when the preacher stands up and says you're a sinful person, you think, who's he on a Sunday morning to say I'm a sinful person? Well, you just said you was a sinful person. So don't bow up and think, well, who's he to say? Do you know that God's already dealt with him up there? And sometimes dealing with him even while he's preaching? Are you following me? Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that mourn, those that are meek. And then it, then it naturally leads to this hunger and thirst. Why? Because they know they don't have what they need for life. They know in their past they have messed up royally. And they've learned some things along in life. And now they say, dear God, I want to be right with you for the sake of the future. I don't want to go back to living like that. That hungering and thirsting. Oh God, I hunger after you. I want to be right with you. I have, like Tozer said, I have tasted you and I've been satisfied, but I want more. Amen. <sighs> Salvation is just the beginning. Too often... We say, oh, somebody's saved, that's great. And that's like the end. It's like the climax. Oh no, that's when the relationship really begins right there. That hungering and thirsting. I want to ask you today, do you hunger and thirst after righteousness? Do, do you want to do right? Do you want God's will done in your life? Do you want God's will done in your marriage and in your family and in this church? And do you say, oh God, regardless of what the culture is around me and the circumstances are, I just want to be right with you. I, I want to do right, but I've got to have your help. There's that hungering and thirsting. You know, when somebody's hungry and thirsty, it's not like they want something to eat and drink and a car. I mean, we come near noon and we think, man, I'm starving. When's he going to be done? This is a great time to use an illustration of hungering and thirsting. And we say, I'm starving to death. Well, you're not either. You, you'll make it. But when you are, I mean, like when you are really thirsty, you know, I mean, I, I've had some times when I thought, man, I've got to find something to drink. I, for me, it's been on a run and I didn't carry water with me. And I'm thinking that was not smart. That puddle looks good. <laughs> 
That sprinkler system. <laughs> Anyways, I haven't done it. I've just thought it, okay? That looks, I mean, when you, I'm just saying, okay, I'm revealing too much. But I'm just saying, when you're really thirsty, you're looking everywhere. Hey, I'm telling you, in this world, there's nothing on this earth that will satisfy like he does. But then when you go to him and you find out how wonderful he is, and he's not just a Sunday school story, but he's a real living person that's active in your life, then the more that you get of him, so to speak, the more that you want to be with him. Are you poor in spirit? Are you mourning over sin? Or trying to brush it off or hide it? Are you meek? Are you teachable? Are you considerate, gentle, lowly, thoughtful of others more than yourself? And as you look about the future and what the plans are, do you say, oh God, more than I want the promotion, more than I want the, the possessions, more than I want the power and the applause of man. Dear God, I, regardless of what I do in life as an occupation, I just want to be right with you. That's the person God says, blessed right there. Blessed right there. Let's stand together here this morning. I appreciate the way you've listened. I hope it's been a help. I hope and pray that even more than you assenting that it's been a help, that you would say, I needed that. And God's word is what you needed. <clears throat> And would you, uh, would you turn to him? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that say, you know, I need to come before him because I need his help. I know I'm preaching today predominantly to Christian believers, people that are, that are believers that may or may not be Christian, if you understand what I mean. May or may not be Christ-like. The word Christian means Christ-like. I believe I am preaching to people that do really want to follow Jesus, but we get things messed up, that's for sure. I'm thankful He's merciful to us. I want to encourage you, first of all, to come. If that is you and you know things aren't right here vertically. If things aren't right here vertically, get that right with God. If today you're not saved... The only way you can be right here is through Jesus. We'd like to explain that to you today. Father, um, we prepare for this invitation now, not out of habit, but because it is truly an invitation to your disciples, regardless of their past, present, and thoughts about the future. It is a, an invitation for them to come and put themselves on the altar and yield themselves to you, not to fret about the world around us, but to trust, to wait, to rest. All those things, even that Psalm 37 said, God help us, I pray, Lord, I know there's more that could be said here, but I, I thank you for what you've given us. Help us, Lord, now in this invitation, just to respond as we ought to. In Jesus' name. Amen. Page 251. You need spiritual help. There are people here that can counsel and you with God's word. Would you come as we begin to sing page 251. Jesus is called.